0: Last week, we talked about God, who he is, and his triune nature. According to a survey by Watchman Expositor, upwards of 60% of Americans believe or lean towards the idea that all religions are praying to the same God. It is something that we see too commonly today, but we live in a culture that doesn't take God at his word or believe he is who he says he is. That's why it's so important to know who he is before we can dive into any other topic at all. We have to believe that scripture is God's word and that he is who he revealed himself to be in that word. Moving from there, we're going to talk about God's decree. A decree is defined as an order issued by a legal authority. In this case, the legal authority we're going to be speaking about is the highest legal authority, the author of all life and of the highest law. Of God's decree, our confession states, God hath decreed in himself from all eternity by the most wise and holy counsel of his own will, freely and unchangeably, all things whatsoever come to pass. Yet, so as thereby God is neither the author of sin nor hath fellowship with any therein, nor is violence offered to the will of the creature, nor yet is the liberty or contingency of second causes taken away, but rather established. That's paragraph one. Let's walk through this part of the chapter together. God hath decreed in himself from all eternity by the most wise and holy counsel of his own will, freely and unchangingly, all things, whatsoever come to pass. Put another way, God calls the shots. Decreed in himself means that God issued an order from all eternity, meaning before anything else existed, according to his own will, everything that would come to pass. God, before anything else came to be, made a plan for exactly how the world was going to be and everything that was going to happen ever. Just like how some authors plan out every detail of a book before they even sit down at the computer or the typewriter or whatever writing instrument they choose, God made a plan based on his own will for everything that has ever been, is now, or will be. Is that comforting to anyone? For me, that's an incredible comfort because nothing is a surprise to God. He has seen this happening already, and even when I am struggling to see a purpose or a plan behind what he is doing, he is already thousands of steps ahead of me. God must be the most incredible chess player. I declare the end from the beginning and from long ago what is not yet done, saying, my plan will take place, and I will do all my will, says Isaiah in chapter 46, verse 10. God's plan will take place. He has declared from beginning to end. So we can know that God is not shaken. He is still in control, accomplishing exactly what he set out from the beginning to do. Yet so, as thereby is God neither the author of sin, nor hath fellowship with any therein. This means that while God is sovereign, and he is always working his plan regardless of our sin that doesn't make him the author of sin if you have children that do bad things does that make you the author of their crime of course not 1 john chapter 1 and 5 uh, chapter 1 verse 5 says this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you god is light and there is absolutely no darkness in him instead everything that is perfect pure And good comes from him. Our world is cursed and broken by sin. And because of that sin, we are unable to do anything else apart from Christ. The confession goes on to say, Although God knoweth whatsoever may or can come to pass upon all supposed conditions, yet hath he not decreed anything, because he foresaw it as future, or that which would come to pass upon such conditions. That's paragraph two. So what does that mean? Imagine that I'm going to open an ice cream shop. And I know, without a shadow of a doubt, that if I open it on a particular street corner, I have a list of names of all who will eat there and who won't. I can plan out my profit each month before I even open the store. That's absolutely crazy insider information that's impossible to know, but stick with me. Now let's say instead that I opened it anyway. It's possible I could have opened it on another street corner, knowing I'd get more customers there, but I specifically chose this corner. Was it my choice or because of what I knew in advance? Did I open the ice cream shop because I knew my profit margins or did I open it because that's what I wanted to do? It's because I wanted to. God is going to do as he wills and the fact that he knows everything, every possible outcome doesn't weigh on his decision to act. So God's knowledge of all actions to come does not influence his actions, and instead he chooses to dictate what we think about as history. Romans chapter 9, verses 11 and 18 say, For though her sons had not been born yet, or done anything good or bad, so that God's purpose according to election might stand. And, so then, he has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy, and he hardens whom he wants to harden. God is the one who ultimately makes the decision on who he will save and who he will not. By the decree of God for the manifestation of his glory, some men and angels are predestined or foreordained to eternal life through Jesus Christ, to the praise of his glorious grace, and others being left to act in their own sin to their own condemnation, to the praise of his glorious justice. That's paragraph three. To break this down, Decree means order issued by an authority, remember? Manifestation is making known or apparent. And predestined means chosen or given a destiny beforehand. So putting it all together, we can understand this paragraph of the Confession to be saying that God issued a decree before anything was created in which he chose those to whom he would give salvation from their sin To make his own glory known. So we are getting into the meat of the matter now. Was there anything within you that caused God to save you? If there was, then how can we say that God chose us? In Romans 9, Paul tells us in verses 22 and 23 and what if God, wanting to display his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much patience objects of wrath prepared for destruction? And what if he did this to make known the riches of his glory on objects of mercy that he prepared beforehand in glory? God is showing us how glorious and merciful he is by being patient with those who were not chosen for salvation, so that when they are judged, we will see exactly what he has saved us from. So many times we try to say back to God, well, that's not fair. How, how could you do that, God? Paul has an answer for us there as well. Just a few verses before, Paul says, You will say to me, therefore, Why then does he still find fault? For who resists his will? On the contrary, Who are you, a human being, to talk back to God? Well, what is formed, saith to the one who formed it, Why did you make me this way? Or has the potter no right over the clay, To make from the same lump one piece of pottery for honor And another for dishonor? We are the created ones the creatures. He is the one who sovereignly chose to create us and has the ultimate authority over us. And so what right do we have to say back to God, how could you do this to me? We were dead in sin already and God chose to save us. When we focus on the fact that there are some he hasn't chosen to save, we are starting from the wrong perspective. It is so important to come back to the perspective that he never had to save any of us anyway. In fact, humanity is only in the position it's in because humans chose to sin and rebel. Even still, through the sin and rebellion and death and rejection of him, God has still chosen you. If you have faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you have been saved from hell and a very real place, of painful consequence. The confession goes on to say in paragraph 5, those of mankind that are predestined to life, God before the foundation of the world was laid according to his eternal and immutable purpose and the secret counsel and good pleasure of his will hath chosen in Christ unto everlasting glory out of his mere free grace and love without any other thing in the creature as a condition or cause motivating him thereunto. The first thing we can glean from this is that God chose us as we've established. But also that he did that choosing and wrote your name in the book of life as one he would save before he even began the creative work of making this universe. I can show it to you right in his word. Turn with me over to Ephesians chapter 1, in verse 4, because there Paul tells us, For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, before he spoke anything at all into creation, before he even uttered, Let there be light, he wrote down your name, the date you would be born, the date you would die, the number of hairs on your head, and the number of breaths you would take, because you're his. Foundations are the base level of a home. Without a solid base or foundation, the home or building will fail. Before God even began laying the foundations of everything we see around us, before any star, any galaxy, any mountain or valley, any shooting star, he made a plan for you and called you by name. We also see that his choice to save was his alone and was not influenced by external factors. Let's take a look at Ephesians 1 again, dropping down to verse 11. In him, we have also received an inheritance because we were predestined according to the plan of the one who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of his will. When God chose the elect, the ones he would predestine to save, he was his own counsel. He asked himself, Who should I save? and then took his own advice. And he did it not for our purpose not because of our pleading, or asking, or hoping, or because of the good in us, but because he had a purpose for us in saving us. The Confession goes on to say in paragraph 6 that just as God has predestined his elect and chosen them by his own free will, he has also predetermined the means by which he is going to save them. And that being those who are elect are dead in sin's, saved by Christ's substitutionary death on the cross and his spirit's work in due time. And they are justified, adopted, and sanctified, and that no one is saved apart from those elected by God. Now, let's take a stab at what that means. Number one, God does the choosing. God has chosen in himself all those who he will save from before the world was made. I know we've hammered this point home, but it's important because if he chose those whom he will save, it sets up for number two. He chose how he will save them. God has chosen of his free will that the son would die to set you free from your bondage to death and that his Holy Spirit would pursue you and cause you to be raised from the dead unto life into the family of God. First Peter tells us in verses three through five, If you are in Christ and remain in Christ, it is because he has chosen you to be his, and he is sustaining and guarding you for the salvation that is ready to be revealed when you enter into his rest. He is holding you in his hand, and who is able to snatch one of his sheep out of his hand? No one. The good shepherd knows his sheep and will not lose even one that the Father has given him. Which brings us to the next point this paragraph shows us. Those who are not justified, adopted, and sanctified were not chosen by God to be so. I shared with you earlier this week about when evangelizing, this gives us comfort. If we share the truth with those who are unable to hear it, we have done what God has commanded. We do not know who will receive him, because we do not know who God has chosen. We, he alone knows who will come to saving knowledge. We can rest in his promise that his sheep will hear his voice and just share what he has said. In John chapter 10 verses 27 through 30, it says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hands. I and the Father are one. The Father and the Son are one, and they are holding us secure. If Jesus could save you, but chooses not to stop you if you try to run away, would he be a very good Savior? Could he promise his sheep eternal life once they are in his arms, if they are able to wiggle out of his arms later? Our God is holding and sustaining us securely in his hands. And again, we see in verse 26, just preceding our previous passage. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. Those who are not chosen as the sheep of the Father do not hear his voice. And again, in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 2, starting midway through verse 1, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, The founder and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We look to Jesus as we seek to finish this race we are running, because he is the author and perfecter of our faith. What does it mean to be an author? A perfecter. Jesus literally sparks the faith in our hearts, he gives it to you as a free gift. Because before the world was spoken into existence, the ink was still drying from where he wrote your name in his book, along with the number of your days, the hairs on your head, before he created a single galaxy, star, planet, rock, waterfall, or sunset, God thought of you personally, and he loved you, and he chose you. Praise God for who he is, and what he has done, and for choosing you, that you should be saved and enjoy his presence forever.